Welcome to the U.S. National Privacy Legislation Podcast. This is Joy Mason and Triago, Managing Director of the Association for Data and Cyber Governance. We are the only professional association that combines all aspects of data and cyber governance for the governance, risk, and compliance professional. You can find us online at adcg.org. It gives us great pleasure to host this event led by two outstanding moderators, Jerry Buckley and Jody Westby. Jerry is a founder of Buckley LLP, a national financial services law firm based in Washington, D.C. Prior to entering private practice, he served as minority staff director of the U.S. Senate Banking Committee. Jody is CEO of Global Cyber Risk LLC and chairs the American Bar Association's Privacy and Computer Crime Committee. We have some really great guests lined up today and in the future, so please be sure to rate us and subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. This is Jerry Buckley, and I am here with my co-host, Jody Westby. Today, our guest is Ritterman Das, CEO and co-founder of TripleBlind, a company that provides data sharing solutions and seeks to promote private and secure exchange of data. Our guest goes by Das, and so that's the way we'll be addressing him during this episode. Before co-founding TripleBlind, Das worked in corporate venture capital and for and M&A for Ant Financial, financial services member of the Alibaba Group. He also spent most of his career in leadership and technical roles in software and product development in startups, academia, and consulting across a variety of industries, including cybersecurity, fintech, digital identity, mobile payments, biometrics, and security. Just imagine that. He was a recipient of the 2013 White House Champion of Change awarded by President Barack Obama. So welcome to us. We're glad to have you with us. Thank you for having me. While you're still a young man, you've been around the world of data, privacy, and cybersecurity for some time. And you've watched the evolution of data management and data governance, as well as the threat environment change dramatically. Let's start out by getting your view on the current state of privacy and cybersecurity in the global economy. What are the trends you see, starting with opportunities, but also addressing challenges? I really think our listeners will appreciate getting the perspective of someone who is a player in the developing cutting-edge privacy solutions, but also is able to step back and take the big picture view of where we are headed and whether we're headed in the right direction. So, Das, we welcome your response. Thank you, Jerry. So... As we look at the world of how the state of the world in 2021, we see data breaches, personal identity compromises are just on every paper everywhere in the world every day. And as a result of that, what the trend we see is governments and regulators around the world adopting their version of data privacy regulation to try to safeguard against this, right? Whether it is Southeast Asia, East Asia, South Asia, the Middle East, Northern Europe, Western Europe, or Latin America and the United States, there is privacy regulation that has emerged in the last five years. And as a result of which, companies are not just dealing with the 
cybersecurity and security aspects of data, but also with the compliance and governance and real-world privacy as it affects the data that they have as an enterprise. And we see two trends emerging. One is that of solving for computational privacy. Now, as you know, in the last uh, 15 years, the public clouds have really emerged and we've seen AWS and Azure and Google and Alibaba Cloud and Tencent Cloud sort of be the global players in public clouds. And as larger and larger enterprises adopt those, when processing personal information in the cloud, they adopt solutions that keep their information in a public cloud in a situation where they're likely sharing access with other renters of the same physical machine. They want to keep their data safe from those others. That's the computational privacy aspect that we've seen a lot of very smart entrepreneurs and technologies tackle. What Triple Blind is doing is the other aspect of it, which is obviously uh, computational privacy is important, but it is also the regulatory and business requirements for privacy that need to be enforced via a technological solution. So we've adopted a privacy first and privacy-centric approach, not just in product development, but also in solution development as triple blind. And as you know, the total worldwide data is expected to swell to 163 zettabytes by 2025, we think that as that data needs to be shared among counterparties for the purposes of business enrichment and analytics, that triple blind can facilitate safe, compliant sharing without introducing any additional risks or liabilities for either the sender or the receiver in the process. Well, you know, Gus, that the Association for Data and Cyber Governance, which is the sponsor of these podcasts, has the same view as you that we're not just talking about cybersecurity, although it is central, uh, it is extremely important, I should say. We're also talking about data governance and what can be done with data. The intersection of technology and public policy and regulation in areas of privacy and cybersecurity does, as you know, present some real challenges. Lawmakers and regulators are confronted with an environment in which advances in data collection and data analytics can have a dramatic impact on the privacy and lives of citizens. Yet finding the right balance that allows technological advances that can help make life better while at the same time protecting individual rights is not an easy task. And the pace of technology change is fast, but the legislative and regulatory process moves slower. From your point of view, as an active participant in the development of data management solutions, what technical areas do you think are the most important right now? That's a great question. One of the second order benefits of the whole cryptocurrency mania uh, that has happened in the last four to five years, what has happened is the word cryptography has entered the lexicon, even if you're not interested in cryptocurrency, right? So without taking a position on cryptocurrency, as the word cryptography and the cryptographical solutions and the trust in those solutions has emerged in the, pub, in the, in the public opinion and the regulator's opinion, I think that the technical areas that are most important now are cryptographic in nature. The best approaches, in my opinion, involve operations on data while they stay encrypted. So historically, we've thought about data security and privacy as I need to protect my data while it's in rest. 
I need to protect my data while it's in transit to somebody else. But when it is at the counterparty, it is not protected. It is subject, or I have no influence in how that is protected. And so it is subject to disclosures and breaches and unauthorized uses. So the technical areas that are important now are cryptographic solutions that enforce regulatory privacy on top of how the data is able to be used. And in my opinion, the best approach there is to take one of irreversible transformations of the data so that the data may never be decrypted and may never be used for unauthorized purposes. So in essence, how do we work with data without ever seeing it, storing it, or making it vulnerable to potential abuse? Hi, Daz. This is Jody. Welcome. We're Thank so you, Jody. You join us today. That's really interesting. Moving forward with this line of thought, so you're suggesting you could send the data to a third party, but then they wouldn't be able to decrypt it. They could use it, but not decrypt it. Is that what you're describing? In essence, that's the practical implementation, except the nuances of the cryptography is that the data is never sent to this counterparty. What is sent to the counterparty is the information required to retrieve insights from that data. So in these approaches, there is essentially no way mathematically provably to ever reconstruct the original data. We call that decryption. But what I'm talking about is essentially one-way transformations that guarantee that even with quantum computers or whatever the fastest computers that are coming in the future, the data may never be broken into. Hmm. That's fascinating. What would be your general advice to regulatory bodies, both here and abroad, that are trying to keep up with the pace of change? So, you know, in the U.S., we're still talking, talking about national privacy legislation. <laughs> we usually have a new state law in Colorado. And we know the European Union is moving forward on a number of fronts. But Two days ago, the Chinese government adopted a data security law that's very scary and requires localization and government assessments and classifications of data and all of that. So governments are doing a lot. So what would be your general advice to regulatory bodies here and abroad that are trying to keep up with the pace of change as they consider privacy issues? Right. So I'll break that up into two sections. So my general advice to regulatory bodies here would be to start thinking about a simplified, overarching, hopefully federal privacy regulation, which would dramatically simplify the way business is done. Today, enterprises are facing a hodgepodge of state privacy regulation, domain-specific privacy regulation, and those don't often have a lot of overlap. So that is a significant hindrance to what I call data liquidity. Data as an asset of data is the new oil. It is not flowing because of uh, the inability to have clarity on how to make the data liquid. So to enable data liquidity, I believe that regulators should look at privacy regulation that goes first and foremost with privacy in mind, Obviously, security and cybersecurity is a consequence of better privacy, right? If you never have the data, there is nothing to be breached. So my advice would be to think about it holistically as opposed to piecemeal regulation, either at domain or specific 
geographical boundaries. But most importantly, they have to consider the technological solutions that are oh, out. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Which was where I was going with the <laughs> privacy is different than cybersecurity and better privacy implies better cybersecurity. It's not always the other way around. You can be extremely secure, but still not comply with privacy. So there are technological solutions to enforce privacy. Those should be kept first and foremost in the in the conversation as regulators are thinking about how to approach this. Well, the SHRIMS 2 decision by the Court of Justice of the European Union and the guidance by the European Union Data Protection Board has resulted in some confusion for international transfers of data. Mm-hmm. Data can be transported across borders, but the SHRIMS 2 ruling requires what we call, quote-unquote, supplementary measures to protect data when sent out of the EU to a jurisdiction that does not afford adequate protection to personal data. So this was a not-so-veiled reference to the possibility that personal data of EU citizens might be vulnerable to access by U.S. intelligence agencies. That's correct. Of course, the same risks exist with respect to Chinese, Russian, or numerous other countries, including some of the European Union. But how might the triple bind solution address the need for supplemental measures called for by the CJEU and the European Data Protection Board? That's a great question. There's uh, two parts of the triple bind solution that addresses that. One is the encryption triple blind performs essentially a one-way encryption-based de-identification. Meaning, if a healthcare institution in the United States was using the data of a European, was using the health information of a European national to determine their mortality from a particular disease or their chances of mortality from a particular disease, if the triple-blind solution was to be to used here, one, the American healthcare institution that's providing the algorithm has no ability to identify or learn anything about the European national and only can send back the mortality. So in essence, any type of data, whether it is genetic data or personal financial information or other types of health data, um, those are de-identified so that there is no chance or risk of a European national being identified if the data were to be used in the United States. And second, triple-blind technology under the hood has a mathematical proof of being quantum safe, meaning if triple-blind were used as the solution for transcontinental data utilization, there is a provable guarantee that no party in the middle may be able to decrypt and or learn about the data transfer that occurred. So in effect, the de-identification followed by the inability, the guarantees of the inability of anybody else, whether they are intelligence agencies or otherwise, to ever be able to look at the data enables these types of transactions to occur that do not require the American data analysts to be moving to Europe or the American data as a whole needing to be moved into Europe to be able to operate on it holistically. So it basically would take the data from a European company and de-identify it and encrypt it, send that piece over, and then that is the piece that the receiving company would get. Correct. And the receiving company would only be able to use it for an operation that is GDPR compliant, right? So if you have 
the phrase I like to use here is that this solution ensures that you can't be evil. It's not a posture of don't be evil, which maintains that there is a possibility a bad actor could be evil. Technologies like triple blind and triple blind itself ensure that even if you had malicious intent or an intent to violate the law, you cannot do so. And there is a mathematical proof that ensures that that is true. Is that a NIST proof or who did the math proof? Regulatory agencies and intelligence agencies developed the proof or rather validated the proof. We, we came up with the mathematical proof. We have patents around our technology. The proof is obviously a part of that. And then those were validated by reputable enterprises in the private sector, the public sector, as well as the government sector. That's fascinating. Thank you. Gary, back to you. Well, thanks, Jody. And and us. You know, on a number of previous podcasts, guests have made the point that data minimization is an essential tool to protecting privacy and guarding against data exfiltration. In fact, more than one guest described data as the equivalent of a toxic material and noted that many companies aren't even aware of the extent of the toxic waste they are storing and where it is being stored. Your new business seeks to reduce the risk of data being compromised and shared with third parties. You've shared with us something of how this works. Is there more that you'd be able to share? Sure. So Triple Blind uses a variety of cryptographic primitives to ensure that the recipient, the user of the data, who was historically the recipient of transmitted data, does not ever end up with a copy of the data. So imagine the scenario where I am a credit card applicant and I go to a bank and I apply for a credit card. What has historically happened is the credit bureau sends the bank my credit file and the bank now decrypts it and operates on that copy of the credit file, the algorithm, the operation to determine whether or not I deserve a certain credit product. Now, in that example, the bank could hold on to that credit file forever or for a very long time at least. And we've seen how those breaches happen where data from even a decade ago that was held on to for credit underwriting purposes is later breached because of a cybersecurity breach. Now in the triple blind model, in that same transaction where I apply for a credit product at a bank, the credit bureau would send to the bank an encrypted, non-decryptable version of my credit report on top of which only the operation to determine my credit worthiness can be run. So the bank is not able to store it. The bank is not able to abuse it, whether intentionally or unintentionally, the bad actor problem. And at the end of which, even if the bank is completely compromised, none of my credit information would ever be there to be in a position of vulnerability. So the approach is, if you never have the data, you're so much more safer than if you ever had the data. Exactly. You know, when I'm not doing podcasts, uh, I'm the name partner in a law firm that does an awful lot of financial services work. And I have a feeling that this technology, I'm not trying to promote your product for you. We're in a podcast for information and not for advertising, but I have a feeling that this product will be of interest to them. And I think they'll find this podcast uh, interesting in terms of solutions that might help them comply. You know, we have many privacy laws in the United States targeted certain industry sectors, such as HIPAA for healthcare and the Gramm-Leach-Bliley Act for financial services and so forth. Can privacy solutions with yours assist with compliance? And are they agnostic as to what sector they are dealing with? 
Absolutely. So I had spoken earlier that triple blind tech, uh, triple blind's technology not only ensures that the data isn't replicated, also ensures that only the pre-approved operation is able to be run out. Now, you can think of those as digital rights on the data, which is a concept that's existed uh, in media and videos. You know, when you rent a movie from Redbox, there are certain digital rights associated with that DVD that ensure you can't just make unlimited copies and sell it. So triple blind approaches it in a similar way. So any regulation, any privacy regulation anywhere in the world can be overlaid on top of triple blind as a set of digital rights. And say, for example, that HIP, like something like HIPAA, this not only reduces the complexity and the amount of money and time spent in HIPAA compliance, it also makes the algorithms bigger or makes the algorithms more accurate, better. For example, Today, if I am a healthcare researcher and I want to access data that's subject to HIPAA protections from a medical research center, the data I get has been anonymized, not de-identified. And so as a result of which, I don't know the patient's biological gender or sex or their biological age, which does have physiological consequences. So the algorithms for diagnoses, for screening that have been developed so far, do not take into account and get smarter as a result of those kinds of information because of HIPAA. That data is thrown away. Now, because of triple blind and the way we de-identify without anonymizing, those data elements that have historically been thrown away, like gender and sex and, and age, can actually be able to be used to make a smarter and better and more accurate algorithm. As you know, for example, the risk of mortality from COVID for an 85-year-old is different than the risk of mortality than a 21-year-old from COVID. And those algorithms today aren't able to be built because I can't access or use the age. Now, triple blind de-identification technology coupled with the encryption ensures that the data is able to be used at its highest fidelity without the risk or the possibility that the patient or the patient's age or, or sex may ever be re-identified from this encrypted blob. That's really fascinating. You know, our listeners are always interested in how private sector companies are responding to these types of privacy-enhancing technologies. I know that you've been working with Accenture and Mayo Clinic. Can you share with us what you're doing and give other companies an idea of how they could be working with tech companies to improve their privacy protections for personal data? I think that's those companies, Accenture and Mayo, would just that's just terrific. You're working with them. Tell us more about what you're doing. Absolutely. So as I was articulating, let's say in the case of HIPAA, if a healthcare research institution builds algorithms on just their own first-party data, They run the risk that the algorithms and the diagnostic tools developed on top of that data do not generalize to the broader population at large. For example, a healthcare institution in Missouri, where I am, if they use just the data they have in their own sources, they run the risk that it will not be as useful in other geographies where other demographics are present. So, enabled with technologies like triple blind, we allow healthcare researchers to source data from global data sources so that algorithms built on top of that data not only are more accurate, but therefore, as a result of being more accurate and more generalizable, have better chances of FDA approval. 
On top of that, the now these algorithms have very sensitive and secure IP, right? The intellectual property that went into these, the development of these is really sensitive. So triple blind can also encrypt the algorithm, which is a new innovation brought to the market by triple blind. And encryption of the algorithm ensures that if someone is licensed the algorithm, they have no ability to look under the hood and identify how the algorithm was put together. So in effect, you have a triple blind exchange. The algorithm, the, the user of the data is blind to the data, which is the patient's information. The patient's data is blind to the operation that's being performed on it. And in doing this transaction, triple blind, the solution provider, is also blind to all of it. Remember, triple blind does not ever touch or take possession of any data that's used in the system. It is always a peer-to-peer exchange. And in a similar vein with Accenture, we're helping them comply and their clients comply with global privacy regulation, whether they be the data localization laws in Asia or GDPR or PIPETA in Canada, and obviously the various and sundry regulations you have in the United States. Yeah, great. How do you think small tech companies like yours, Triple Blind, can influence legislators and educate them on technical capabilities? You know, they need to understand technical options if they're going to write an effective law. The CPRA, for example, has provisions that pertain to the use of certain tools, but they're very vaguely written and a lot will depend on regulations. So this interaction is important. I would really hope if we had a national privacy law, it wouldn't be some vague structure that then we have two books of regulations on top of it. What are your thoughts on how the tech company could help in drafting national privacy legislation so they understand how these tools could be integrated into a legal framework? That's a great question. I think historically, uh, startups and small tech companies have adopted the position that attempting to influence policy is just not in a startup-friendly timeframe, right? Startups need to move fast and grow quickly. But when it comes to these types of high impact issues. I think the tech sector nationally should be working closely with their with their elected representatives, as well as the industry uh, departments that are thinking about privacy regulation and educating them that there is a way that is new and novel that ensures that besides just a best effort at adherence to compliance, there is a way to provably ensure that there is never a breach of compliance. Hmm. That's great. You know, uh, just, that is, uh, you know, one of the reasons why we have done this, Jody and I are doing this series of podcasts on national privacy legislation is exactly the hope that we can help with the benefit of the insights of people like you to influence public policy. We're not lobbying, but we are trying to create an environment in which the, there is a deeper understanding of these issues. And, and your joining us today is, is a, a great help in that regard. I'm going to ask you one last uh, lightning round question. So if you were asked to advise Congress and the administration on how to proceed with respect to privacy and cybersecurity policy, what would be the three top recommendations? Absolutely. So uh, in terms of uh, national privacy regulation, if that was to be entertained, my first recommendation would be to think about the, the opportunity at the intersection of industries. For example, a bank can use my healthcare information to offer me a better financial product, as an example. So the intersection between domains is an important consideration to keep in mind. The second is to, is to ensure very, that... Very interesting. Yeah. 
I appreciate it. Uh, and, and the second one would be to think about the consumer privacy, because as we've so far, the type of privacy we've talked about is that of enterprise privacy. What This is what the, the problem statement we're solving for is that of business to business privacy. But consumer privacy is often forgotten and the standard narrative, at least in the United States, is, is consumer privacy is dead. And that seems to be an area where regulators can make a real difference. And the last point to consider would be that there are technical approaches to being able to enforce privacy, not just operational and compliance-driven approaches. Very, very helpful. I want to thank you, Das. This has been a very enlightening session. I am sure our listeners will find it fascinating. And uh, we look forward to following the progress of Triple Bind and yourself as you move forward. Thank Thank you, you, Jody. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us this week on U.S. National Privacy Legislation. Make sure to visit our website, adcg.org, where you can subscribe to the show in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Pocket Cast, or via RSS, so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in what you heard today, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the podcast, that would help us out too. Also, you might want to subscribe to our weekly newsletter, Data and Cyber Governance Alert, which you can do right on our homepage. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode where we dig deeper into the possibilities of U.S. national privacy legislation.